Hey, I'm Chris Lamb. This episode is going to be so good. I'm going to be sitting down with my good friend, Faith Barrett, who is part of the Barrett team. They're a real estate team in Redding, California, but there's so much more than that. Uh, she's a very inspiring lady. I have, I'm so excited. I've been excited to have this podcast for a long time. So do me a favor. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a comment. It really helps us get more exposure to this podcast. And without further ado, Faith Barrett. Faith, thanks for being with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sending the Calendly advice. Eventually, no, just kidding. <laughs> oh, did I not send it? No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> well, we're still figuring out what we're doing. So, But Faith, I've been so excited to have you here. You know, you and I started hanging out a little bit a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And a couple things that, you know, caught me off guard when I when I met you. Number one, you were so willing to help me out. Like, we didn't really have a relationship at all. And, you know, honestly, I tell you all the time, I wasn't involved in content creation and you were doing really well with it at the time and you had no reason to help me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just first of all, I just want to say thank you for that because you're you're really the catalyst that got me started in this and part of the reason why we're here today. Um, but the second thing was I, your, your work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, it impresses me. You know, there's a lot of people in our industry, I would say in every industry, and I always respect people that work really, really hard and take mm-hmm. really good care of their people. And and that's why you're here. I mean, there's a thousand realtors out there and I don't, the people that I try to interview are people who I think have something to say, not that everyone doesn't, but you know, your work ethic and what you've done in a short period of time is something that I thought would be useful to talk about. So one of the questions I like to ask people, yeah, um, cause I don't know your history. We talked a little bit about this today. <laughs> Glad um, <we> it out. <laughs> what was your, so the money hole podcast, we came up with the name because People right now, especially, they struggle with money. And a lot of people, they want to have balance in their life. They want to have the house, the spouse, the kids, and go on some trips. But a lot of people struggle, and they do for a long time. And and so one of the things that I've learned over 22 years of doing mortgages, and certainly as part of my story, is people have a lot of weird belief systems around money. Mm-hmm. You know, they either think it's the, the the end all of happiness or they think it's evil to have money. And so I want to know, you know, at a young age for you, like what were your belief systems around money? Yeah. So growing up, um, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home. Um, my parents raised us really to the mindset of like, say for a rainy day, um, my dad never really invested into real estate. So this is kind of like a new adventure being in the real estate world, just cause Dylan, uh, my husband, um, his parents were all into the rental market of fixing, flipping and everything like that. So growing up, it was always save for a rainy day, um, be conservative with your funds, um, invest into some stock portfolio, which I didn't do as a kid. My dad did. Um, and basically live off of your means, but don't overspend. Mm-hmm. So my parents are very like, if anybody knows my parents, um, they are the most simple, but the most generous people you will meet in your day. And some of I don't know. 
my mom will have like the same sponge like five years ago. And she's like, it just works fine. You know, she just has that mindset. Mm -hmm. I have a very similar mindset. Like if it, if it isn't, you know, broke, you know, you don't fix it kind of thing. Um, and just kind of being more conservative with, um, funds. Um, so with that mindset, I really see money as like, it's a need to provide for, you know, your family, you know, career to build wealth and to establish something. But at the end of the day, like it's not our money. Like, we always would tithe as kids. Like we always would have to give 10% mm -hmm. back. Um, and so that was just the mindset of that it's never ours. And so it's always, if you can operate in a mindset of generosity, like the concern of where's my next paycheck coming from won't even like cross your mind. Mm -hmm. So um, although I'm conservative with our funds and everything, we still um, have been given an opportunity through our business um, to be generous with it. And I think that's just where I love to live in that mindset. Yeah. So I was talking with a friend of mine a few months ago. And when I met him, he had a net worth of 5 million and it just reached like 105 a couple of weeks ago. And he was, he was telling a few of us, he said, you know, when things change for me and we said, what? He said, when I started becoming generous, mm -hmm. he's like, when I started giving money away, mm -hmm. he said, he said, I don't know what it does, but it, it just changes everything. Now that's not to say that if someone does that, they're going to all of a sudden get wealthy, right. but oftentimes mm -hmm. you become more magnetic yeah. And you just, it, you lose the fear. Mm -hmm. And I, I think by being generous and sowing into meaningful causes, it, it just opens doors. Right. Don't you see that? Yeah. And I would definitely say like, if you see generosity uh, in that light and you see money associated with that, then um, giving, you know, maybe more than you would or that nudge or that tug you feel mm -hmm. um, is less of what's in my bank account and more of like, okay, I just know like this is like what I'm supposed to do. So um, I know like with the market and everything, things have changed so drastically for a lot of realtors and everything like that. And I just have been really operating in the mindset of like, at the end of the day, like one, this has always been like um like all the glory to the lord for wherever we get and how far we go um but for our money and where we are like i never want to stop not being generous just yeah. because funds are tight you can give generously differently like you can be generous with your time with people and mentoring like it doesn't have to be financial and it doesn't have to be money so i think sometimes people get tripped up with like well i want to be generous well you can be generous with like a volunteer service mm -hmm. you know that's the same way for me like with how limited time we have with how busy we are you know finances like we're able to give and you know run with that so yeah and the truth is most people can be generous mm -hmm. There, there are ways to do it. Um, you know, for you and I right now, our time would cost us more than a paycheck, mm -hmm. you know, so giving our time is hard to do. Yeah. Um, I wrote this tweet the other day about generosity and I, I basically was saying how, you know, being generous is not to receive something. It's literally for the joy mm -hmm. of being generous. But what happens when people are generous is it changes the way you think. And when it, when your, th when your thoughts change, your, your behavior changes, and that's what actually ends up changing your results. Right. If you really think about someone who becomes generous, the reason why I believe that they seemingly become more blessed, it's not because a, a paycheck just shows up in the mail. Mm -hmm. It's because their whole operating system and how they think about money, possessions, and people mm -hmm. changes. And that is what gets different results for them, yeah. I believe. So. Um, so, well, let's talk a little bit about real estate. So you, you talked about growing up conservatively and then Dylan's family mm -hmm. had a completely different way that they did things. Is that where, when you got married to Dylan, was that sort of where your mind was open to investments, 
cash flow, real estate? Yeah. So when we got married, I was in nursing school. Um, and then I finished nursing school. I was a nurse for about five years, started real estate within those five years. So I was doing real estate and nursing. And Dylan was at the time we thought we were going to open up a Dutch Bros. Um, and we were going to run that. But the locations coming up just wasn't something that we felt was going to be conducive for a longevity <laughs> standpoint. So uh, we nixed that idea. And then we got into uh, real estate. He was in the mindset of commercial. He loves numbers. Um, because his family lost, unfortunately, a lot in the crash, um, it's always been a very, how can I take that same like passion and desire for real estate, but, you know, maybe come with a more cautious approach because of like things that happened that nobody mm -hmm. could predict or see right. or how it was going to go. Um, so he kind of really more introduced the real estate, got into real estate. And I was like, oh, wow, like that looks fun. Like, um, I love like the solution. I love the problem solving. Like I was like, I think we should do residential too. And so Dylan was like, you know, I'm black and white. I like numbers. And I was like, I like emotions. So let's help with real estate <laughs> residential. And he's like, you can do people. I'll do business. And then just naturally, our market is more real estate prone or residential prone than commercial. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of just merged over. And in that, it started getting our wheels turning of like, hey, like, you know, could we conservatively start thinking bigger and building a portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, and Dylan Dylan is the numbers guy. Like he can see numbers. He loves and obsesses over numbers. So he still invests in like the traditional stocks and everything Good. like that. Yeah. Um, so we're diverse in that way. But we started seeing opportunity in real estate. And then we bought our first rental property probably three and a half, three years ago. I was trying to think about it on the way over like three years ago. Mm -hmm. And then we just have kind of slowly started building. So yeah, good for you guys. I, I've been doing this for 22 years and I've seen so many real estate professionals who have helped their clients build wealth, but they never did it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so when I see people like you, you guys, you know, doing the research and taking chances, it's, 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 I know you guys are going to do really well. Yeah. And I think that's something about our industry that I wish was better is that people understood like you're going to have these years where you do really well. There's going to be some tough years, yeah. but when you do that, you want to try to control your spending and capture that extra income and put it into mm. cash flowing assets and so that you don't have to do it at this level forever unless you want to, but it gives you the options, you know, so good for you guys for doing that. So one of the things that I was excited to talk to you about, we're both in the industry and it's 2023 mm -hmm. and, you know, the media in 2022 said that the housing market was going to crash and and a lot of people got really nervous about the idea of buying a home. Rates are higher. Affordability is putting pressure on people. I thought it would be a good idea for us to talk about the reality of what we're seeing with, with buying a home, the benefits, and really try, try to coach people and help give them good advice on how to make the best decision or whether they should wait. So I, I think I'd love to know from you, if someone is thinking about buying a house right now and they're renting... What would be some of the things that you would tell them they should do uh, to help them alleviate the fear and to make a, a, a good, intelligent decision for their family? Yeah. So I actually met with this lady a couple, uh, actually a couple of days ago and she sat down and she said, you know, I'd love to own a house. It's like a pride, you know, for being a single mom to have like this, you know, I bought something for my daughter. Um, however, like I'm most comfortable here and I can't get here. And I'm like, well, where's your debt at? Like, 
And I think a lot of people see like interest rates and the affordability of the market and they say, there's no way I'll be able to afford that. And for us, like how we've always approached real estate is like real estate and investing is number one for us. And so it's like if you can eliminate your useless debt to see a better return of investment in an asset like a house, like, and you can, you know, cut back on your car payments, pay off your credit cards. Like I'm always first about, can you get yourself out of debt so that you can actually see the asset wealth of buying in real estate? Mm -hmm. If you're stuck in debt, that's your first hurdle to come over. If it's just a fear of like, you know, I don't have debt and I'm now trying to figure out how I'm going to like, you know, see the opportunity. Then I sit down and I say, well, what's your long-term plan? Like, is this to flip? Is this to build into a rental portfolio? If I could do it all over, again, I wish we didn't buy such a nice house when we first bought. Like I, we weren't into real estate at the time. Um, and I was like, I want a new construction house. I want something nice. And the problem with that route is that I never took, I was never able to do the house hacking advice that a lot, tell a lot of my clients like, Hey, get into a house, don't buy the nicest house in the beginning. And then, you know, live in that for a year, turn it into a rental, move Mm -hmm. it on to the next one. My problem is I bought a really nice house at the time. I mean, it's just a new construction house, but it was very comfortable. And I was like, there is no way we are moving. (laughs) And so I always try to reverse, uh, reverse do it in my head to my clients. So I always first talk about debt because I don't want to ever set somebody up for success where they are living paycheck to paycheck, can't make their mortgage because that's just not good advice. And then um, kind of just then play out what's the long term goal of real estate like, yeah. for you. Um, and then if I can share any advice, like I think sometimes people who sit in front of us who are, are like similar age of us or are maybe like age of you and haven't even started been renting their whole life and now are finally first buying. I always like try to show like the hope of like, hey, this is where we started. This is what we've slowly gone. There's not like a race to like, you have to have 10 doors by the end of the year. Like even if you get one, then you move on to the next one. Yep. I'm like, we're totally like the turtle runs the race. Some people are like trust fund babies and they just get all this cash and they just like, and it can get overwhelming to like then be like, well, I don't have the means and I can't do it. And I'm just like, hey, let's figure out what the goal is for you first um, to execute that better. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, and that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people in this industry are going to win this year, even with it being hard. Because what I hear you saying is you, you're an advisor to your mm-hmm. clients. And I tell people all the time when they sit down with me, you think you came here to find out about a mortgage and to buy a house. I said, but what you're really trying to do is put your family in the best possible position. Mm-hmm. And buying a house is a part of that, right? right? But when you start getting into people's debt, when you start asking them personal questions, like you're crossing a line that some people are afraid to cross, but it's so worth it because that's what people need. I mean, I can't tell you the the last time I sat down with someone that actually knew the tax benefits, the appreciation rate, the inflation of rents, and was making a financial decision to buy a house. It's usually because of the pressure of where they live, mm-hmm. or it's because of the emotional part of the idea of having a house and you know house hacking because it's such a buzzword right now. Right. And so that's that's really good that you do that. Um, so I was sitting down with a guy recently. And they said, we don't want to be house rich and cash poor. Mm-hmm. You ever heard that term before? Mm-hmm. And so I started talking with him and I just said, well, let's break that down. Because right now you're renting. You guys could easily afford a property. But if we look at your finances, you're spending money on going out to dinner four times a week, mm-hmm. buying coffees and going on these really expensive trips. Like, I don't know if you would be poor mm-hmm. if you bought a house. In fact, it's possible that you'd be 
better off because buying a house sometimes is forced savings. It's going to force you to cook at home and to start being a little bit more creative with how you're spending money because this particular family, they had money. Mm -hmm. They just were spending it and they didn't know where they were spending it. And they had this belief system that buying a house equals we're going to be poor. And the reality was that the way that they were living was how you end up poor. Mm-hmm. So if, so what are your thoughts towards someone that has that mentality? Because most people right now, when they look at a mortgage payment, it's higher than they want to pay. Homes are expensive. Rates are higher. And for a lot of people, they do have the, a lifestyle that they, they think they like. And they, that buzzword, house rich, cash poor, comes up a lot. Yeah, I think it's just understanding the bigger picture of it because like I look at our house, we bought our house back in uh, 2019, I think. I can't remember now, 2018. Um, And we bought it for 306. I know everybody's like, oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) But we thought we were buying at like the peak of the market. Our interest rate was 5%. And we went from a rental of 350. Yes, there is a rental complex here that you can get that cheap. And we went to an $1,800 mortgage payment. And I, Dylan thought he was going to throw up and I relatively thought we were going to die. It's like a (laughs) 5,000% increase in your housing expense. So we were very unrealistic renters (laughs) that went to a normal, you know, mortgage or whatever. So for us, like, okay, you get over the hurdle of it. We could afford it. We had the income to do it. And so now I look back on it. We still are living in the same house. Like, and now my house has appreciated to like 450,000. I mean, it's fluctuated as the market's gone, but I can say that for me, like I can look at my house and I see it as a dollar sign and a paycheck if I had to cash out or I had to tap into it. And I think some people get stuck that because they tangibly can't see a dollar sign in their bank account withholding onto their house, like mm-hmm. they would rather tangibly hold onto that dollar sign in their, you know, account so they can say, all right, I have a hundred thousand, but I don't want to have that a hundred thousand dollars into my house. So for me, I kind of leverage it both ways and seeing it visually like a house as like my my own personal bank account that nobody can touch except for me if I was to cash out, sell it, or, you know, pull equity off of it. So I think for people, they just need to kind of see the actual better asset holding and value that our house has been able to do, whether the market has gone up, down, left, sideways, Mm -hmm. like I still have a roof over my head. I'm still at a fixed cost and it's still appreciating, you know, whether I lost $25,000 last year because the market, you know, changed or I'm gaining it back. You know, to me, it's a long-term goal. Yeah. So, yeah. So helping people see the truth. Yeah. Right. Because if people put money in their bank account, like a lot of people have kept money in cash this year Mm -hmm. because they were afraid of buying real estate or buying stocks because of the turbulence in our economy, the presidential election coming up. And what what I was thinking about the other day is like, you you know, and the other people are thinking, what if the dollar crashes? Well, you're the, if you put money in the bank because of inflation, your hundred thousand is now worth a lot less because of your purchase power. So at least with real estate, you're getting into an asset that's keeping pace with inflation. In most years, it outpaces inflation. So I think for, for you and I and people that are in the real estate industry, the number one thing that we can do right now is to educate everyday people who this isn't their world mm-hmm. and help them understand the, the the benefits, the true risk, and and then manage their fear because it's it's a scary thing right now when you have the media and their neighbors and their coworkers saying that, you know, the housing market's going to crash, risky. It's like, well, no, it's actually risky to rent. Mm-hmm. Rents go up at 8% a year. Imagine your rent today, nine years from now being double. And mm-hmm. if it's hard to imagine that, 
ask yourself what you were paying in rent nine years ago, and then you can kind of see how this plays out. Well, don't, don't ask Faith. It was, she was <laughs> living. She was obviously living in Africa in the ghetto somewhere. Um, so you don't want to live there. It's a very dangerous place to live. Okay. So, or, so what about investors? Right, you know, right now I'm looking at a couple different investment opportunities. I'm in contract on a commercial piece. And I was talking to a guy today who is actually a mutual client of ours, a good friend of mine. And, and we, I was just telling him, I said, listen, you know, I, these numbers don't work right now. Mm -hmm. Like the cost of money is high and, you know, rents are generally low. Like the model, it, it's pretty broken. Uh, and yet there's still people going out there and buying investment properties and I'm doing it myself. And I know you guys are too. So what would you say to people who they've got a house They've got some money and they know that real estate is something that they want to get into, but they, they've ran the numbers. They're nervous about it. What would you say to that person? Um, I would say like, is there any way, so like we're really into like building in-law units right now. So is there any way that you can maximize your current property to leverage, uh, an additional dwelling on it. Um, if you can't because the lot size isn't available or you don't have the means to do that, then I'm always looking at, you know, I'm, I'm a watch and wait kind of person. Some like save for that time that when that deal does come, because they do come, like we're getting creative, like we're, where we're finding land and we're building. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, well, building costs are so all over the place. And right now building costs have come down. Um, you know, it fluctuates in variances, but we are partnered up with a great contractor. It's not any buddy deal or anything like that. I mean, we're paying his price and, um, we're just, finding new ways to create avenues that I think a lot of people like, you know, uh, aren't seeing. And so where I can find like an opportunity, whether it's bare land and build a new construction house and or two houses on it, like the, now I'm creating my two streams of income. So we kind of, for my investing world, or I should say more Dylan, what he's built, because I'm just following along like <laughs> I, it's my plan all along um, for Dylan's um, great masterpiece. Um we have uh, we have really found our niche, and I think for the investing world, if you're trying to get into it, like brainstorm with a bunch of people like what they're doing, mm -hmm. because I think it gets really overwhelming to just invest and everybody's just like, well, that doesn't pencil out, that doesn't pencil out, this doesn't pencil out. And so I'm like, okay, well, then wait to know what you want and then jump on it when it comes yeah. available. And if it's buildings, if it's businesses, if it's multifamilies, if it's ADUs, if it's, you know, storage units, you name it, going outside of the area. Like I've heard like different people going outside of the area. Um, we just have kind of like our certain like thresholds of things that have to check the box and we've gotten really hyper-focused and that's just helped us kind of denoise just opportunities that people are like, what about this opportunity? I'm like, nope, it's not in our category. Like we're not interested right now um, to kind of keep motoring on to like, what is our end goal? Yeah. You know, that's really good. Yeah. I, th I think the ADU thing is something that most people are missing. And, and the reason I believe that is because I coach mortgage professionals all over the nation and in a few states that are similar to California, like Washington, mm -hmm. who are a few years ahead of us people are doing really well with ADUs and and the way that some of the legislation works depending on the size of your lot and you can correct me if I'm wrong you can actually build up to 2 ADUs on one lot and you can one of them I believe with some legislation that passed not too long ago can actually be a 2 unit now you have to have the right size lot they have to have the right offset from the street and there are some requirements but because of this being um a piece of legislation to promote 
uh, fair housing and affordable housing, you bypass a lot of the you know mun- municipalities and impact fees, which reduces the cost to do it. And a lot of people, like you said, that are hearing this are probably, well, that's great. Mm-hmm. I don't have the money. I don't have the equity. I don't know how to do that. Well, that's where you have to think creatively. And you know, someone like Faith, uh, myself, or anyone you know who ha- is is making big moves, you need to call them and ask them. Like most of the people that are giving advice are people that aren't doing anything and haven't done it. And so, you know, you got to find someone who's done these things and ask them to help show you how to do it. But I was talking to a guy today, and he said, "The way that I can do this is I can offer an equity share to a private money lender." And I was like. That's a pretty good idea. So you're telling me that you have a property that would be prime for building ADUs, but you don't know how to get the capital to build them and you don't have the equity to do it, but you would be willing to let someone come in, finance your ADUs, and they could own a portion of the equity. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah. And I said, man, that is a great idea. In fact, I might be willing to do that for you, <laughs> but you got to be willing to think outside the yeah. box. And I think that's what you're saying is, when the narrative is that there is no way to make things work, I promise you there are people out there making money. Yeah, and I think it also comes down to who are you connected with or how are you, um, you know, getting connected with other people. Like we just, uh, gosh, it was probably about three or four months ago, we took a risk. We bought a property um, with a tenant still in place, a very complicated tenant um, that it was like, hey, if you give me X and you take care of the tenant, the property is yours and I don't care. Like, and it's, it's a really great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now we're in the process of evicting the tenant. We're taking the risk on. And, you know, we got connected with, you know, certain um, private money lending to be able to like carry certain costs. But I think a lot of people will see you or me and be like, oh, you must have started with a lot in your money or your bank account and able to do this. Like we literally save for everything that we've invested into. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a trust fund baby. I don't have like, you know, a cash cow like on the side just pumping money into me. I don't have a private money lender family like. And I think that's just like where I'm proud of where we've come just because it shows you that we're slow like and I don't care. Like we're three and a half years into this and you know, well, now we have six stores. And to me like that's a steady enough movement to kind of keep going that where that's where I tell people it's not a race like whatever your end goal is whatever your passive income dollar sign is or whatnot like nobody's has like a time clock says that you have to be have that Mm -hmm. like that's just you and so I think that's where it all comes back down to who's your connections and what are you giving up personally to see the long-term goal so Dylan and I have always had this statement um I'll I'll keep it pg but uh eat crap so you can have caviar for the rest of your life so we've given up certain things so that we can you know, have the opportunity to retire when we're 50. You can say shit, by the okay, way. Okay, good. Okay, so yeah, eat fine. shit. So <laughs> <laughs> eat shit so you can have caviar for the rest of your life. Um, and that's really just like our kind of, you know, model is uh, a lot of people like feel like they have to work till they're 65. Like I want to be done in like 10 years living off some passive income. Yeah. So I'm not tied to like an eight to five job or selling houses yeah. or showing houses. Like, it's possible. And so like, that's just where I get excited to tell people and encourage people. Like Mm -hmm. I started from nothing. We saved everything and we've literally put every single dollar that we have earned into like our investments. Yeah. There's no excuses. Yeah. Anyone can do it. Um, No one ended up rich uh, unless they were a trust fund baby. But most of my friends who are very wealthy, they, a lot of them were high school grad, uh, high school dropouts Mm -hmm. and they had very hard lives and no one gave them anything. Mm -hmm. And they learn skills. Yeah. 
And so that's something I tell people all the time is you have to find the people who have the skills you want to learn yep. and you have to ask them for help. And if they're busy, uh, tell them, try to appeal to their heart. The, oh. A lot of those people, they do want to help you. And if they're that busy, offer them money. I just offered a guy 3000 an hour to coach me because he's so busy because I want what he has that much. And so finding mentors is key. And so anyways, well, I really appreciate you mm -hmm. making time. I know people are going to get a lot out of this because there's so much noise out there right now. And you and Dylan are two that I see doing it and helping people do it. Um, and I, I just can't thank you enough. I know you're a busy gal. So please make sure to like, subscribe and comment if you enjoyed this podcast. And thanks again for being with us.